From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. People across the world are watching the war between Israel and Hamas unfold. Today, CPR public affairs reporter Benta Berklin talked with Colorado lawmakers with roots in the region. The bigger picture is the scariness of what's going to evolve out of what's happened so far. So what is this going to lead into? How many more lives are going to be affected? Where is this going to go? Then he's been the voice of the Denver Nuggets for nearly two decades. We'll meet Kyle Speller as the hometown team and reigning NBA champs kick off the season at Ball Arena. You talk about storybook Cinderella type stuff. As far as I'm concerned, you couldn't have written that any better. Stay hungry, humble, and healthy, and we can do it again. Every day, there are complex issues to decipher, from our changing climate to education to water rights and the economy. You want to understand the impacts and hear directly from decision makers and the people affected by those decisions. Because of CPR's and NPR's careful and thorough reporting, you know more about your community, state, nation, and world. And your financial support helps make it all possible. It's easy to give at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. People across the world are watching the war between Israel and Hamas with sorrow anger, and dread. That's especially true for those with personal ties. CPR's public affairs reporter Benta Berkland has been checking in with some of Colorado's lawmakers with roots in the region. She joins me now. Hi, Benta. Hi, Chandra. Benta, let's start by talking about who these state lawmakers are and how they're connected. So two of Colorado's lawmakers have roots in Israel. Democratic State Senator Daphna Michelson-Janay was born in Israel. She has a lot of family there, and so does Republican Representative Ron Weinberg. His grandparents moved to Israel in 1948, and his aunt and uncle live in the family home near the border with Lebanon. And the Colorado legislature also has two lawmakers with Palestinian heritage. Democratic Representative Iman Judah, uh, she became the state's first Palestinian-American lawmaker when Mm. she was elected in 2020. She still maintains a home in the West Bank and has a lot of family there and extended family in Gaza. Gaza. And a first-year lawmaker, Democratic Representative Syed Sharbini, he is also Palestinian-American. His father is Arab-Israeli. And I've been talking with all of them over the past two weeks since the Hamas attack on the 7th to hear what they're thinking and feeling. Now, what have they had to say? They have a lot of common sentiments, fear for their families, for the future, sorrow, heartbreak, and a sense that a lot of people don't really understand the situation that's happening there or their family's particular plight. Here's Representative Weinberg. The bigger picture is the scariness of what's going to evolve out of what's happened so far. So that's really where I sit is what is this going to lead into? How many more lives are going to be affected? Where is this going to go? He said that in the early days of the conflict, and of course since then, things have continued to escalate. You mentioned that Representative Syed Sharbini's father is Arab-Israeli. What has the situation been like for his family? 
His dad was actually in the Israeli city of Nazareth when the Hamas attack happened, and he was visiting family for an extended stay, and Sharbini said his grandmother, aunts, uncles, cousins, everyone lives there. They're in a heavily Palestinian area within Nazareth. They have a family restaurant. Uh, They all live within close proximity to each other. Where they're at is safe enough for them that you know, I feel comfortable not trying to work on, like, getting refugee status for them. But at any point, that could change. And so it's a day-to-day situation. Sharbini said he doesn't believe many of the political leaders in the region even want peace, although he said a lot of people on the ground do. And he said he's not supporting either side in this fight, but just the people caught in between. You know, I'm not saying that Israel shouldn't defend itself because Hamas's attack was gruesome and terrible. But at the same time, Israel's indiscriminate bombing and cutting off of electricity, uh, water, other things like that, those are war crimes. And so, and this is something I've explained to people many times before, is neither side is coming to this with clean hands. Um, Both sides have failed their people in trying to reach a peace deal and working together to find a resolution. I imagine this sense of frustration and worry must be true for all of the lawmakers you talked with who have roots in the region. Yes, definitely. They're very on edge and concerned. And Democratic Senator Daphna Michelson-Janay, who I mentioned has a lot of family in Israel, people serving in the military, a niece who recently gave birth. When I talked to her shortly after October 7th, she said she was absolutely in shock about the Hamas assault and never thought she'd see an attack like this against the Jewish people in her lifetime. Nothing good can come from what's going on, period. Nothing good for the Jews, nothing good for Israel, nothing good for the Palestinians. Nothing good is going to come from what's going on. I don't know what Hamas's intention was, but they carried out a massive, massive pogrom on the Jewish people. And absolutely, Israel has the right to defend herself in this instance. And who's going to get blamed at the end? Israel. There's also a lot of fear that what's happening now is just the beginning. Representative Weinberg said he's worried about the war expanding to include Hezbollah, the powerful militant group which controls southern Lebanon. While the decision of Hezbollah to join the war is still pending, so to speak, that would deeply impact my family more. Uh, We are literally on the border of Lebanon. Did the lawmakers you talked with say anything about how the war in Israel is affecting their constituents here in Colorado? Democratic Representative Iman Judah said as part of the Muslim community, she worries about anti-Arab, anti-Islamic sentiment. She said there's already increased security at the mosque and said she's heard of school children facing threats. Our children are being called terrorists. And they're being put at risk because their schoolmates don't understand the 75 years. And they're almost getting permission to carte blanche, call their classmates who are Arab or Muslim, these things. For me, growing up in the wake of two Gulf Wars, 9-11, Bosnia, Palestine and Israel, Afghanistan, Iraq, I don't know anything different. She said it's just an incredibly sad state of affairs. That we have to continue to say this in this day and age. Hate towards, you know, Jews is wrong. Hate towards Muslims is wrong. Hate towards Christian Arabs is wrong. There's also a lot of fear in Jewish communities. 
after the Hamas attack as, as well. And Governor Jared Polis, who is Colorado's first Jewish governor, he issued a proclamation from the state officially condemning anti-Semitism. It noted that violence against Jews in Colorado and across the world has been exacerbated by the terrorist attacks and that anti-Jewish hatred continues to undermine the safety and the security of Jewish Coloradans. So the next legislative session is still more than two months away, but do you think what's happening in the Middle East will have any impact on how lawmakers do their work? That's a really good question. Certainly foreign policy is not under the purview of the state legislature, but that doesn't mean world affairs don't impact the session. So state lawmakers often take moments of personal privilege and they talk on the House or or Senate floor. There are also resolutions that are much broader in scope. Hmm. And in fact, Representative Sharbini said he'd really like to work on something with his colleagues. Tried to reach out to like Weinberg and Judah and stuff to try and do a joint statement between all of us as far as condemning all the violence. He said that ended up falling by the wayside. Things are often a little scattered when the legislature is in the off session. But his goal is to put something together at the beginning of the session in January, potentially a joint resolution with the legislature's Jewish members. My position is I stand with the people, the innocent people who are being hurt on both sides. So we'll see if, if this does come together. Sharbini said he hopes it could set a tone for lawmakers from all different backgrounds to remain even keeled and work together. Benta, thank you. Thanks, Chandra. That's CPR public affairs reporter Benta Berkland, who's been talking with Colorado lawmakers who have family ties to Israel and the Palestinian community. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. The leaves are turning, the pumpkins are ripening, and the local stores are stocking up on candy. Perhaps your neighbors have a 12-foot skeleton in their yard, or you are the neighbor supplying the scares. I'm CPR's Lauren Antonoff-Hart. Come to CPR.org for our growing list of activities across the state. Scary shopping, guided ghost tours, Dia de los Muertos celebrations, harvest festivals, and more. Get inspired at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters on CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. It's expected to be a star-studded affair at Ball Arena tonight as our NBA champion Denver Nuggets kick off the regular season tonight against West Coast rivals the Los Angeles Lakers. One person who'll definitely be in the building tonight, as they say, is Kyle Speller. His name may not ring a bell, but if you've ever attended a Nuggets home game, His velvety voice probably does. Yeah! (laughs) How are you doing? It's game day, baby. And so we are ready to go. (laughs) (laughs) We got this live and and, in person. This is amazing. So tonight's also a big night for you Uh because you kick off your 19th season as the public address announcer for the team. Mm -hmm. Yes, 19 19, years, and as you'll soon learn, he's got a lot of extra faith (laughs) in Colorado's home team. That's right. Kyle, welcome (laughs) to Colorado Matters. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you kind of welcomed me (laughs) to Colorado Matters today. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Well, I'm sure you get my lame attempt at a joke, and we'll talk about that a little (laughs) bit later. But first, nearly two decades Mm -hmm. as the voice of the Nuggets. Right, right. right. How are you feeling about tonight's big season opener? There's a lot of excitement, Mm -hmm. but I would imagine a lot of pressure, too, to win. 
Uh-huh. After being the Cinderella story of the NBA last season, yeah, yeah. Uh, even as you mention it right now, I've got a little, I've got some goosebumps on my neck, <laughs> starting to feel it. But uh, you know what? I, bottom line for me, I'm excited about it. I'm ready to get it started. I, it, we, we, it's like for me, the celebration part. We're okay. We've we've done the celebrating. We've celebrated all summer long. It's time to get it on and, and let's go. And, and I'm hoping, to, you know, to be able to let, let's do it again. Let's run it back. Let's let's repeat this thing. That's right. So what are you most excited about in mm-hmm. regards to this upcoming season? Like, do you have any insider knowledge about how they've been preparing in the off yeah. season? I heard it said today, um, talking about our, our our one of our star players, Nikola Jokic, two-time MVP, finals MVP yeah, I think as well. we've heard of him. Yeah, you might have heard of him. <laughs> uh, the thought being each year he's gotten better and better. There's something, some kind of – and so after the, the past few seasons that he's had, I'm looking forward to seeing, okay, how's he going to get even better? How's he going to top this? And – you know, to be able to say, because really, to be honest, age he hasn't even reached his prime yet. So mm. he's there's still some development that's going to be taking place. And so I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to seeing how he responds uh, to this new season, how he responds to winning a championship. I think he's built different. A lot of guys have let up, but you can definitely see what he's put in. He's, he's taken time away, which is very healthy. But he's also prepared and he's ready to go. And so I think we will uh, see some great things tonight. And um, it's just to start it and just just keep the momentum going. Well, that's definitely the question on everyone's minds is Mm -hmm. can the Joker and Mm -hmm. the Nuggets do it again? Yeah, I I feel like I said all last year, if you if we stay hungry, humble and healthy, I call them my three H's, then we were going to win last year. I'm just repeating the same thing. Just reset it. If we stay humble, hungry, and healthy, there's no reason that we can't do it again. Three H's. I love Mm -hmm. that. Now, I would imagine over nearly two decades, you've seen a lot. Mm. And the team has really evolved. Right, right. Why do you think they were able to close the deal for the first time in franchise history last season? Simple for me, um, something I've seen all along. It's uh, the phrase, you you hear it more and more now. I've been referring to it this way for quite a bit. Um, Selfless, selflessness, selfless basketball. You've got guys on this team Hmm. that are willing to do whatever they have to do to sacrifice whatever they have to sacrifice, whether it's minutes, whether it's uh, roles, uh, things that they've been used to. Uh, I'm thinking of like an Aaron Gordon, players like that, that have set aside themselves aside in order for the cause. The way my coach used to, he used to to, to uh, reemphasize a, a philosophy from Bobby Knight, the great Bobby Knight, cause before self, cause before self. And that's what you see here uh, in the midst of this team. Everyone shares the ball. Um, And as a player, uh, I I played a little bit myself. And as a player, you love to play with guys that share the ball, where we all can be a part of it. And as opposed to uh, the old kind of the the former, and I say former because this league is a copycat league, where you see a lot of uh, the one-on-one guys and Mm. that whole deal. It doesn't. It, it's not real successful, and so you're going to see more and more teams move to this selfless basketball style. I, I, I'm sure. 
Well, I know I'm going to have my popcorn and my jersey on tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Now, earlier I mentioned that the Nuggets were the Cinderella story of Mm. the NBA last year. Mm -hmm. But to borrow a bit from the title of an old hip-hop song, Mm -hmm. you have kind of your own Cinderella story, too, Ah. in regards to how you came to be the PA announcer for the team. Tell us about that. Yeah, so for me, um, people always ask me all the time, "How did you get that role? How did you get? How did you become the announcer?" And I, I always tell them, you know, I I didn't actually go to school for it, or there's guys that have been doing it for years, and 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 all. My route was totally different, and for me, I'm a man of faith, and I always say it, it was God that opened that door for me. Mm. I was a rookie free agent with the Nuggets back in 1999. Um, I, I was, a I still tell people I was a nugget for three days because I got cut. <laughs> so, <laughs> he was a nugget for three days. <laughs> but, uh, but during that time I met a man by the name of Tommy Shepard. He's no longer with the team now. He was like the PR guy at that point in time. And so I just asked him, you know, I knew that I had a voice. Um, and for me, something that I, I always loved, I loved how I, I was a Michael Jordan fan as well. Who wasn't? And, and so <laughs> the way that the Bulls announcer, his name was Ray Clay. And when mm. he would ever, when he would do his player introductions, I would always get goosebumps on my arms. So I, I said, you know what? I would love to do that for the Nuggets someday. I didn't even know what it was called. And so anyway, I, I reached out to that guy, Tommy Shepard, at that point in time. Nothing ever happened. He did give me a name of an individual, Sean Martinez, at the Nuggets in, in the game entertainment area. I reached out to him, reached out to him. Now, mind you, I was a rookie free agent in 1999, and years went by. Years went by. Nothing ever happened. I would reach out. Nothing, nothing, nothing. In the meantime, I was a part of a prison ministry basketball team where we would go around the state of Colorado. We'd play against all the prisons, and one of the things that I would do in order to help encourage the inmates is I would just in there in in the in the gyms I would just do the player introductions on the microphone and I would introduce wow. the players and little did I know that was this is why I say it was all God that was his way of preparing me for this opportunity and wow. so there was just one day out of the blue the nuggets had an open audition Mm -hmm. the title said grab your microphones if you were the public address announcer for the nuggets and you grabbed your microphone right (laughs) how would you do the player introductions well i had been doing it in my head for years and i knew exactly what i wanted to do i went into the studio recorded a demo in literally five minutes and five minutes and then sent it in and a couple weeks later heard back from them they said mine was the only one that they liked and they brought me in and and i've been there ever since (laughs) and What's cool is that you're also historic. You are not only the Mm. first African-American public address announcer in the Nuggets franchise history, Mm -hmm. but also the first in the state of Colorado for any of the major professional teams. Yes, and that's that's something that uh, is very special for me to be able to say that I'm the first black anything. It's just powerful, and it's an honor, and I don't take it for granted at all. And we must say this, you are really a hometown guy. Like, you were born in Brooklyn, but you grew up here in Colorado in Denver's historic coal neighborhood Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. near Park Hill. That's right. 30th of Monroe. I grew up there. Was it was the East the East Denver YMCA used to be there. I used to practice a lot of basketball in that gym. It's it's gone now, but that's right where I grew up. And uh, yeah, I, I'm originally from Brooklyn, but I, I call Colorado home. Mm-hmm. And uh, you also 
used to DJ at mm-hmm. Adam State University. <laughs> right. And now when I was there, you did your research. <laughs> yes. When I was there, it wasn't Adam State University. That's how long ago it was. It oh, was wow. Adam State College. <laughs> wow. So, so but name yes, changed and yes, you're still here. <laughs> yes. And so, but I, yeah, I did. I, I DJed there. And that was actually where I discovered that I had a voice. Um, and that was when I first moved into the area of of voiceover. I was first introduced to voice just in we would have reel to reels. We would have reels. They don't have that in I'm looking in this studio now. There's no reels any longer. Looking for uh, a beta tape in yes. here or something. <laughs> and so but I would do my own voiceovers for my own promos but and that was where I would the, fr- the first time I actually heard my voice and and found out about this this voiceover space and 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 so yeah, those were those were the days. Wow. And you do a lot. Uh, you also are a school counselor by mm-hmm, day. Mm-hmm, yeah. I don't know how you manage yeah. all of this, but <laughs> keep the plate spinning. Yeah, it's an opportunity. You know, to be quite honest, I always said I never wanted to work with middle schoolers. I said I don't mind working with high schoolers or even mm. the young, but I never wanted to. Tough work age, with tough school. age. Yes, and so. I'm a middle school counselor as well, (laughs) and uh, I'm I'm serving at a school in Aurora. And you know, I for me, like I said once again, I'm a man of faith, and I said, okay, if I'm gonna be here, then Lord, I need you to give me a heart for these kids, and He's done that. And so those those are my babies now, and I'm just like, wow, okay. And you and you have to be the coolest. I mean, your counselor is at the Nuggets game at night. I mean, yeah, I would, I would be impressed. They're they're all waiting to see the ring when when that time comes. But yeah, it, it's an honor to uh, be able to just make an impact on the lives of these young kids uh, at this stage in their life. And so uh, it's it's just imp- it's powerful, and and I just hope to be able to to do a good job hey, this is this is the kind of job where you you don't see the fruits of your labor right away maybe you know 10 years 15 years down the line maybe one of them will come back and say hey something you said made a difference and so mm. we'll see my guest is Kyle Speller the stadium announcer for the Denver Nuggets everybody up on your feet no one's sitting in your seats yeah! it's time to be your 2020 That was Speller at the team's victory parade and rally in June after they won their first NBA championship in franchise history. Tonight, he celebrates his 19th year as the public address announcer for the team. But he has another role, too. Back to my corny faith joke a little Uh, earlier. You're not only the voice of the Nuggets. mm -hmm. You also serve as a community ambassador Mm -hmm. and as a chaplain and as the chaplain for the team. Correct, correct. Tell us about that. (laughs) So, yeah, I uh, have been the team chaplain as well for now. This is my 17th season starting in that role. And it's just a space where uh, the players, I'm there to serve. And it's not just for the players, but for anyone that's in that arena at that point in time. It's just I'm I'm that individual that uh, I I, I always walk into that arena and I, I always say a little prayer to myself, you know, Lord, don't. Let them hear me. Let them hear you in me, and and help me to just see wherever you're at work, all around me. Where if there's someone that's in need of encouragement or whatever, help me to be in position to to speak to that person. And so whether it's the 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 security people that are 
in the back hallways. There's people in the stairwells that you don't even see. The public don't see those individuals, but one of the things I love to do is I love to go around and just tell them that they matter. They make a difference. They are champions as well. Um, anyone from those guys to the coaches to the players, um, I'm there to serve in, in that spiritual capacity for them. Um, the way our chapels work, we uh, each NBA team has, has a chaplain for, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the majority of the teams do, and, and we all just we have a, a little short service uh, before every game. Really? Um, in the NBA, it's done differently. In the NBA, you have both teams together, the players from both teams together. Wow. We're in the NFL, it's just that team, and same thing with MLB. Same thing with hockey as well. And so with the NBA, is a little different. And uh, it's just an honor to be able to serve in that capacity. So are you telling me that there is a potential for LeBron James and, say, Jamal Murray to be at the same service right before the uh, game? You never know. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. sure you know who comes and who doesn't. Right, right, right. That. right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, as the chaplain, I have to ask, mm-hmm. do you feel like God's on the side of the Nuggets? No, I, I, that's one prayer I never pray. I don't, I don't say, hey, Lord, help us. Win. You don't yeah. try to sway the results. Like, Lord. No, it's, no, it's, it's, uh, it's always, for me, it's just help everyone just play their best. Play your best. Help everyone play their best and, and uh, be healthy <laughs> with it. And, yeah, I'm, I, I, yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't know, whatever, whatever. He, he's God. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. <laughs> and so, but, uh, I, for me, as first personally, I just, you know, help me to bring glory to your name and, and not mess it up or not be a bad witness for, for you on your behalf. <laughs> now, earlier you talked about getting a championship team ring. Mm. Talk about that moment when you got that ring. Oh, well, I, I haven't gotten it yet. Our guys are getting it tonight. Oh. But ours will come a little bit later. <laughs> we got to awesome. wait. Oh, that's but, exciting. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, it's coming. And so, oh, wow. I, Something you know, tells me you're going to be cheesing bigger than yeah, the players. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. You're going to need yeah. some some personal security mm, when you wear that. Just, just, yeah, I can't wait. It, it's for me. I've played all these years. I played in grade school. I played in high school. I played in college. I played exhibition ball, and and, and I, I like, like I said, I was a nugget for three days, <laughs> and and so, but um, I, and I've played in so many different areas and in so many different ways, even with the ministry team, all that. Um, for me, I never got a chance to get a ring. Um, we did. I never won state. I never won. Uh, we won our region in college. We we did that. Um, but that was, that was it. I never really got that championship for myself. Now I've coached, I've coached, I coached my sons, I coached their club team and, and, uh, we won several championships throughout the years. And so, but, but this one is special cause this one is something that, that I get to be a part of. And, and that's it's, awesome. it's kind of, it, that's really historic. Special. I mean, yeah. it's huge. First um, time ever for our city and to be able to be a part of that. Um, you, you talk about storybook Cinderella type stuff. Uh, you, as far as I'm concerned, you couldn't have written that any better. And so it's, I'm just so honored. I'm so honored and to be able to be a part of that first one. Now, as we wrap up, I have to ask, um, 
Is there a story that stands out to you in looking back at the 19 years mm. that just kind of sums up your experience mm. in this role? Well, there, there's one story. It, I think it's probably my favorite story of all of the, the things that I've been through. It, it's one that actually didn't take place in the arena. It was one that took place. Uh, there's a park across I-25 and and we were doing a shoot there for something, um, some kind of video shoot or some kind of promo or something like that. And there was a lady that came up to me and she introduced me to her little daughter. And what she told me, she said that her daughter had a, a speech uh, impairment and that her daughter, there were certain things that she couldn't pronounce, certain words that she couldn't say. And one of the the letters that she couldn't pronounce were her letter R's, her R's. And she said one day, though, her daughter all of a sudden began to pronounce her R's. And how she did it is because she was imitating me saying, <laughs> super mascot, Rocky. <laughs> and that's how she learned to pronounce her letter R's was by me pronouncing Rocky's name. And so... That was one that was very special <laughs> for me. <laughs> and it, like I said, it was just, you know, that that's that was just so powerful to me. And that wow. was just one one of the amazing stories that stands out for me. <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to get you to do something for us before oh, yeah. we wrap up. But <laughs> any predictions for the Nuggets as they kick off the regular 2023-24 season tonight? Win. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You're whispering in God's ear. Win, win. <laughs> Nuggets uh, win. Nuggets I'm, win. I'm summoning my inner Rocky. I'm, I'm, I'm a Rocky fan. You know the Rocky movies, <laughs> and uh, I think uh, it was it was. Uh, oh my goodness! What what the Rocky's what, what's Rocky's night wife's name in the movie? <laughs> I, my mind just went blank. Just like, Adrian. 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 She just told him in, at that one point where where she looked up at him and he was kind of doubting whether he should continue on. I think it was like Rocky three, and she just looked at him and said win that's what i'm talking about right there. all right are you listening joker are you listening jamal yes let's get it done let's get it done selfless basketball stay hungry humble and healthy and we can do it again well i can't just sit here in the studio across from the voice of the denver nuggets and not ask you to do a little something for us can you send us to break with a little this is Colorado Matters, but I'm sure better than mm -hmm. I just said. <laughs> mm -hmm. Let me see. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat a minute. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, yeah! This is Colorado Matters on CPR News and KRCC. Let's go! Okay. Mics are dropping in the studio right now, like the proverbial mic drop. Thank you so much, Kyle. This Thank was so you, much Sandra. fun. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, for good me. luck and keep drinking that honey and tea hey, so that we can go. keep hearing you if we can afford <laughs> the tickets. Oh, right. <laughs> That's another story. Mm. That was Kyle Speller, the public address announcer and chaplain for the past 19 years for the Denver Nuggets. The team kicks off the regular season at Ball Arena tonight, going up against West Coast rivals LeBron James, yes, King James, and the Los Angeles Lakers. 
And we know America will be watching to see if our hometown team can do it again after winning its first NBA championships in franchise history last season. This is Colorado Matters on CPR News and KRCC. I'm Jessica Duran. As a news intern for KRCC, I was able to report on stories and help inform Southern Colorado. CPR and KRCC offer opportunities like these and more to current students and recent graduates to set up the next generation for success. You can learn more about internships and fellowships at CPR.org jobs. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. Colorado is home to many communities with distinctive names. Maybe you've been to Last Chance or Paradox or the ghost towns of Tomboy, Stoner, or Old Roach. And then there's possibly the most puzzling name of them all. CPR's Western Slope reporter Stina Sieg investigates the mystery of how no-name Colorado got its name. Kelly Bame of Golden remembers driving past the plunging rock cliffs of Glenwood Canyon, just outside of Glenwood Springs, when she saw it. A sign for exit 119, with the name of a tiny community on the Colorado River she had never heard of, and instantly could not forget. I just thought, you know, why, why no name? Why, why would you keep the name no name? Where did that come from? For answers, I go to no name a quaint collection of homes not far from No Name Canyon and right next to No Name Creek. The main road here? No Name Lane. That's where Greg and Sean Jung live, self-described Nonamians. I've heard that rafting guys will tell a story about an Indian tribe or a princess, Noname, or whatever. Maybe the community was called No Name from No Name Creek, and maybe No Name Creek was named No Name Creek because when the surveyors were surveying, that creek had no name. Then I also like to say we're aliens from the planet Noname. And if that wasn't confusing enough, there's also the hypothesis that No Name was sort of randomly assigned to exit 119 by the Colorado Department of Transportation, back when I-70 was built in the 1990s. But the Glenwood Springs Historical Society tells a different story. At its downtown museum, a silent movie plays on a loop. The Great K&A Train Robbery. Filmed in Glenwood Canyon in the 1920s. Archivist Carolyn Sipperly says, by that time, no name had already been a community for generations. There were people living there as early as 1874. And the museum has receipts and old maps showing it was called No Name. It has a lot of mentions by that name. Long before the No Name exit sign, or even the interstate, was built. Before CDOT was ever a sparkle in the state's eye. Sipperly <laughs> has heard that No Name might have come from a census sent out to residents where the government asked, what's the name of your town? And everybody just said, no name. Like, there, there wasn't any. Another theory is that it, the creek was called No Name first, and the town was named after that. That last one sounds pretty likely to Sipperly, but that still does not explain what inspired the name No Name in the first place. Such as history. that We get these kinds of questions all the time, and, you know, some people will tell you, 
a definitive answer without really being able to prove it. And I just, I can't. Bummer. But our Colorado wanderer, Kelly Bame, has another question, too. Has anyone ever tried to rename it? And why keep the same name, no name? Apparently, there were efforts to change it sometime in the past, including a bid to call it Cobblehurst after a well-known home in the community. But none of it took. That does not surprise Sean and Greg Jung, sitting in their backyard with tea as the cool evening rolls in and the walls of Glenwood Canyon get darker. No, I wouldn't want it to have any other name. And I don't think most anybody, any of the permanent residents here would. No name is both part of Glenwood Springs and its own world. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. A sanctuary, Shung calls it, where their giant Thanksgiving dinners have become famous. Where during COVID, the community held a sign up over the highway saying, Honk for Hope. And where, when Greg went through a huge health scare a few years back, his fellow Nonamians rallied around him as he recovered. I'm sure for a lot of people it's odd that there is a place called No Name. But for them, it's just home. In No Name, my name is Stina Sieg, CPR News. <laughs> what do you wonder about Colorado? Ask your own question about the state at CPR.org slash Colorado Wonders, and we may answer it online and on air. How many times have you bought a piece of clothing on a whim only to have it hang in your closet for years, forgotten and never worn? Eventually, you throw it away or donate it. But what actually happens to it? Professor Sonali Didi of Colorado State University studies textile waste. We spoke in August. Dr. Didi, welcome to the program. Thank you, Chandra. Put a number on this problem for us. How much of the apparel and accessories that we buy get thrown away each year? According to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, um, 11 million tons of textile waste end up in U.S. landfills every year. And this was a figure in 2018, and it has steadily increased. Once these materials end up in a landfill, do they just eventually rot away? Probably not, because currently the global fashion industry is around 65% polyester or synthetic-based, which is never going to disintegrate in the earth. So it's just going to be there, Mm. and it's just 35% is what we are looking at natural fiber market. So an archaeologist a couple of thousands of years from now will be able to figure out what we wore during the century. Absolutely. And most likely not a great condition um, in terms of the harmful chemicals it emits. I guess this is a simple question, but why do people buy so much and end up wasting so much? People tend to buy so much, and what I call this as overconsumption, is primarily because clothes over the years have become very cheap. Unlike previous decades where cloth buying was more thought as an investment, now it is a matter of just walking by the shop and thinking, oh, I might just use this $5 shirt. I'm going to wear it somewhere. And it just doesn't get worn and taken care of as you would for a $100 shirt. Guilty as charged because, of course, I am a sucker for a sale. (laughs) So I can relate to that. But 
I'm also wondering how much social media plays into this because, you know, it's easy for us to blame millennials or the younger generation, but there's almost this uh, pressure, this celebrity red carpet style pressure that you can't rewear the same outfit that you were seen in on social media. Do you think that plays into it? Absolutely. I think over the years, social media and just a different generation and just because the cost has been so low has fueled the uprise of fast fashion. And now we call it the ultra fast fashion, where brands like Shein, H&M are kind of producing clothes for way too cheap and way too many styles in a day. And the need for having newness uh, is promoted and encouraged on social media. For example, on YouTube, you have haul videos where people show off what they have shopped for, which, again, promotes and encourages others to go and buy things which they may actually never use or need, but they just want to have it. Definitely see this specifically on social media. You know, it's very common to literally open the boxes on camera and just pull out the items, try them on. They're adding music. So it's kind of adding kind of an emotional experience. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, you're out buying something new that you didn't plan on buying. Absolutely. And the emotional aspect of it, the I would say the temporary happiness or the high which you get dies down really quick because it was momentary happiness which you got by buying something to show people that, yes, you have it. I don't know, doctor. This is starting to feel like a therapy session for me. (laughs) (laughs) What role do thrift stores and consignment shops play in all of this? Is donating to those places helping, like, as opposed to, you know, going out to the mall and buying a new outfit Does it make a difference? Thrifting or buying from consignment stores definitely could be a strategy. But thinking through that, oh, I'm going to buy this so that I can donate it later, may not be the best strategy as you're making your consumption and buying choices. Some research studies have shown that only one in five clothes end up on the shop floor. And the rest either end up in landfill or are shipped off for a secondhand clothing export market to Africa and other countries, which also affects their uh, local apparel manufacturing industry. You've also taken on kind of a more limited issue it has to do with the freebies people pick up at conventions. Uh, they call it swag. How did that become a concern for you? And I have to, again, admit, I just came back from a big journalism convention, and this was definitely an issue for me. Unfortunately, the swag industry is made mostly of cheap plastic or um, things which we cannot reuse it, we cannot recycle just because they're made very cheap. Both people who take the swag and make the swag uh, are just looking for that temporary high of promoting their brand, but most of us would agree that we don't keep that for long, and at some point we are going to toss it. Of course, we've mentioned new clothes in the introduction, but people throw out a lot of old stuff too. When should a person consider throwing out something that they've had for a while? I think when you are no longer using it because it has deteriorated to a to a point where you cannot repair or mend it, if a 
an article of clothing can be repaired or mended, I think that would be our first um, strategy to hold on to that piece. And most likely, if you have invested, not bought, but invested in a piece of clothing which is well-made um, from better fabrics and better manufacturing practices, I think you can hold on to that piece for a longer period of time. And when I say longer, think about your mom's closet, your grandmother's closet. They would still have their pieces from, I don't know, 50 years. Can we say that for uh, something which we own today? Mm. Well, Many times buying is really an emotional experience and people end up getting things that, as you mentioned, they don't really need. How do you suggest separating that emotion for people and helping them to make more logical decisions about the clothing that they buy? Over the years, I've asked this question to myself as well. And it has always come back to the needs and the wants question. Do I really need it or do I want it? And there are times when you really want to have that experience, want to feel happy, want to spend some time with your family in a mall and buy things. And that's fine. But I think the strategy which I have promoted, encouraged people to think as they do these buying is just take a pause and think, do you have this in your closet? Do you really need it for something? Can you think of any other creative way of using this um, piece of clothing? Or do you really need to buy it? Just maybe pause and think. Talking about solutions, how do we get people to change that behavior? I think first is trying to understand what is the impact of individual choices. Because a lot of times consumers think it, it doesn't matter if I just want to have this one piece, but they're not thinking the broader environmental and um, social impact of their purchase. So thinking through what does this cotton t-shirt mean. So for example, a cotton t-shirt on an average uses 700 gallons of water for its production and the entire life cycle. That's huge for one cotton t-shirt. Or for a yes. denim, it is 1,800 liters of water. So again, trying to understand what's the environmental impact and also thinking through who is making your clothes and how far of it. Because a lot of people think it is an automatic thing which is churned out by machines, um, but about 70% of our clothes are still done by human labor. Um, so understanding what is being paid to these workers are there safe working conditions? And how are we making brands responsible for making this piece of clothing fair and environmentally safe? Well, you mentioned a lot about making better decisions and choices about the apparel that we buy. And bring me back to you're in the store and you're mm -hmm. having to make that decision. Do you have any tips or advice that the consumer could focus on to make that better choice? I think over the years, we have lost the habit of looking at the care labels and the fiber content. That would be my primary way of looking at a piece of clothing. Check what the fiber content is and if they're made of natural versus synthetic fibers. And what is the care um, instructions, whether it's dry cleaning, hand wash, machine wash, what does it look like? With respect to brands, it is difficult at the point of store, but if you had planned your purchases, and that comes back again to the needs and the wants, just do a little bit of research before. Think of this as you're thinking of making food choices. You want to know where your food came from, uh, what is in the food. The same thing 
what is in your clothes, who made your clothes, what is its impact um, after you wear these clothes. So thinking that through and making a planned purchase will go a long way in addressing overconsumption. Well, it seems like you're emphasizing that we should really take this time to think about the environmental impact and kind of take it off the item, but kind of look at it from a more worldly, global impact standpoint. Absolutely. The fashion industry is so globally connected and a t-shirt travels almost the entire world. Uh, U.S. is the third largest producer of cotton, but unfortunately we don't have any processing units and that gets shipped out to other Asian countries for processing and it might even travel even more for making into fabric and yarn. So it is It's traveling quite a bit, and that means it is also burning lots of fossil fuels in its travel. If consumers are trying to be environmentally conscious, are there some fabrics that are better than others, some like polyester to stay away from? I would strongly advocate for using natural fibers or looking for more natural content because that's what is going to disintegrate at some point in the in earth when we dispose of it. So focusing more on natural fibers like cotton, hemp, wool, these are these are known mm. to provide great um, benefits for uh, skin as well. You've given us a lot to think about. Thank you, Sonali, for joining us. Thank you. Sonali Didi is an associate professor in the Department of Design and Merchandising at CSU in Fort Collins. We spoke in August. Thanks for joining us today and to the Colorado Matters team. Tyler Bender. Carl Bielek. Anthony Cotton. Pete Kramer. Andrea Dukakis. Rachel Estabrook. Michelle Fulcher. Matt Hers, Tom Hess. Michael Hughes. Chris Ketchum. Pedro Lumbraño. Shane Rumsey. Ryan Warner. And I'm Sandra Thomas-Whitfield. Go Nuggets! This is CPR News and KRCC.